Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. God had placed it on the hearts of, of the staff that for the next three weeks we would be dealing with the topic of the gospel and the responsibility that you and I have to the gospel. And so this morning I am going to be uh, dealing with the topic that I'm simply calling the amazing gospel. The amazing gospel. Next week, Matt will be dealing with the convincing gospel. And the following week, Scott will be dealing with the glorious gospel. But i got to tell you something. This... Uh, <clears throat> This idea of an amazing gospel, the amazing gospel. When I think about the fact that Jesus Christ gave himself for my sin and for your sin, I, I can understand how amazing it is. I'm so glad that he died for us because the truth of the matter is for the longest time, and probably even still today, I don't, I don't look at myself and consider myself to be a bad guy. Um, Rick Clark, here's some arrogance for you. Oh, gosh. Rick Clark is, uh, he's so certain that he's good, a good guy that Jesus would want to die for me. I get that because I'm a good guy. Now, that's arrogance. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not preaching the truth here. I'm just letting you inside my head just for a little bit. Because this kind of thinking really got me in trouble and may have gotten some of you in trouble. So when I think of Jesus dying and forgiving me for the longest time, my thoughts would turn to that, well, I get it. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a good guy to have on his team. But then when you, when you start looking and start digging and you, some of you will, how many of you remember a, a dude named Ted Bundy? Huh? Ted Bundy's in prison after committing horrific crimes and someone gets to him in prison and shares the love of Jesus with him. And do you know what that guy does? He repents. He repents of his sin. And he's forgiven for some of the most awful sins and crimes that you can imagine. And I go, wait a second, God. I can understand you dying for me. But not that cat. I mean, this guy's bad news. As a matter of fact, the idea that you, that you would give yourself for him is so far removed from my mind that, that I wouldn't call it amazing grace. I would call it absurd grace. It's absurd, God, that you would die for someone so vicious. Uh, some of you may remember uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. And, uh, and I won't go there except that. Prior to him being killed in prison, the report was that he had become a Christian. And I go, wait, wait, wait. This isn't right. 
This guy is too bad for you, God. You don't want this guy. But as you'll see as we move on here, that God doesn't look at us and grade our sins. He doesn't put us on a scale and say, okay, if you're good enough, if your good outweighs your bad, then I'm going to let you in because you're good enough. But God doesn't operate that way. As a matter of fact, when he looks at sin, it doesn't matter in his eyes, the sin that was committed, when he looks at sin, he is looking at rebellion against him. As Matt would say, he's looking at treason against the king. And so on, on whatever level you sin, you are in rebellion to your king. Everybody with me? All right. Now, I want you to take your bulletins and I want you to, to peek at, at where we're heading, because today I'm going to be talking about, in this amazing gospel, the amazing and sometimes absurd idea of reconciliation. And when I speak of reconciliation, here's what I mean. To go from the position of being an enemy to being a friend. And so, in the text we're about to read, we're going to read quite a bit about reconciliation. Anytime in the Scripture something is being emphasized and pushed, then that word will be repeated over and over, or that thought will be repeated over and over. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 17, and I'll just read to the end of the chapter, I want you to notice a word that's used over and over. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And here in just a few moments, I'm going to be taking verse 21 apart just a little bit. I'm taking the gum out of my mouth. I, I apologize for that, but it just saves me from, uh, from hitting Jawan Hale in the head with my gum while I'm preaching. So that, that, would, that wouldn't be cool. Okay, so here we go. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see, you'll see some of the thoughts I've written down concerning this whole idea of reconciliation because Paul uses that word five times in these five verses, which means he's really pushing something home to you, and he's pushing something home to me. First thing I want you to know is this, and, and wow, was this a wake-up call for Rick Clark. I, I, I had this wrong for so long in my life. Reconciliation is God's plan, not ours. It's God's plan, not ours. The idea that God would... God, hey, Brandon and Alicia, God bless you guys. Man, I'm so glad for what you all did today. So glad. And for those of you who have been putting it off, it's time for you to consider going under the waters to be sure to declare your allegiance to your king. Now listen, reconciliation was God's plan. 
this, this area that I got wrong, and not, not our plan, I, I always thought when I would hear the gospel proclaimed, I always thought that, okay, this is, this is how I want to do it. This is how I need to do it. It's, it's kind of my plan to make things right with God. And here's, here's Rick Clark's plan for making things right with God. In my mind, it was, okay, you accept Jesus as your Savior, you acknowledge that, and now that you've done that, from that point on, you have committed to live your life perfectly for Him. Don't screw up, don't sin, don't get it wrong, because if you do, then what God will do is He'll boot you out. Now that's where my mind went, okay? This is, this is what happens when you think you're so good enough for God. This is what you think when your sin isn't so bad. It's not as bad as this other guy. My sin certainly wasn't as bad as Ted Bundy's or Jeffrey Dahmer's. If he's going to accept them, surely he's going to take me. And so I would think that, that once I came to Christ, that if my performance lined up, everything would be good. The trouble was that my performance never lined up. You know, you know just as I know, that, that we all are broken by sin. And so there are going to be times in our life and seasons in our life where we go through real difficulties. And if you buy into what I had bought into, then you're on this roller coaster ride with God. You're reconciled to Him, and then you sin, and then He tosses you out. And you're not reconciled. Now you're an enemy. And then you say, okay, I want to come back to you, God. And you come back, and now you're back in with him, and you're reconciled. And then you sin, and then you feel like you've been tossed out again. And I'm not making light of sin. I don't want to do that because sin is rebellion against him. And while you feel like you may be on this roller coaster relationship with the Father, this is what I want you to know. God is not on a roller coaster relationship with you because his plan is that he is the one who put it into effect how you would be saved and not only how you would be saved, but how he would keep you. He keeps you. As a matter of fact, the scripture says, uh, where, where Paul asks, is there anything that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And Paul then declares, no, there's nothing. I'm convinced there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Once we belong to him, we're his. He keeps us even when we sin against him. Now, that's good news. You may have heard that message so long that you go, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. Man, that, that one thought should keep you going every day of your life, thanking Him for His grace in spite of your doubts, in spite of your struggles, in spite of your sin. If you look at the uh, quote I have in your bulletin by John Piper from his book, Desiring God, John Piper writes, So God has what we need and don't deserve righteousness, and we have what God hates and rejects, sin. What's, what's God's answer to this situation? His answer is Jesus Christ. That's how God deals with that. His answer is in Christ. When He looks at us in our sin, He knows that our only solution is in Christ Jesus. Second thing I have down for you, reconciliation. Beco leaving the, the state of being an enemy with God and becoming friends with God 
is only made possible. It's only made possible by the forgiveness of sin. You look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and just look at verse 19. Just the first part of verse 19. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Now look at this. Not counting people's sins against them. Not counting people's sins against them. Listen, if you have your Bible open and a pen or a highlighter, you should highlight that passage. In order for him to reconcile us to him... He has to provide a way for us not to have our sins counted against us. So that when we stand before Him, we stand before Him completely forgiven. I want you to look at Romans chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Chris, if you'll throw that up. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Isn't it good to know that even though we fail miserably at times, it's good to know that even in our failure, that because of God's grace and His forgiveness, the scope is so broad that when we put our faith and confidence in Him, He doesn't count our sin against us. I'm so grateful for that. I mean, if He did... We're all hopeless. We're all hopeless and helpless. Look over in Psalm 103. I want to read this out of my, my Bible instead of off the screen. But Chris, you can put it up there. Here's a little exercise for you. Psalm 103, David makes this great statement. And in making it, he then lists all the benefits of following Jesus. Look, just listen to this. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, here he goes. Verse 3. I, just, I went through, highlighted them, underlined them, put numbers by them, all the benefits of, of the Lord and all he's done for us. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. See, right in those verses I I had listed six things. The seventh thing is in verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. Verse 9. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Thank you, God, for that. Verse 10. He does not treat us. This is wonderful. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Did you hear that? He does not treat you as your sins deserve. He knows you've rebelled. He knows you've sinned. And rather than just wiping you out right now and casting you into hell, he doesn't treat you as your sins deserve. That's a reason to rejoice. For as high as the heavens, this is verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And then this verse, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 
And I, I've shared this before. I want to share it again. Repetition is the key to learning. Why did he say, as far as the east is from the west? Why didn't he say, as far as the north, north is from the south? Well, listen. If you're at the South Pole and you start traveling and you get to the North Pole, you're traveling north. When you get to the North Pole and go over the top and start traveling the other direction, what direction do you start traveling? South. And then when you get to the South Pole and start the other direction, you start traveling north. And so see, if he said that your, your sins will be removed from me as far as the north is from the south, what he would be saying to you is that his forgiveness is limited. That I'll only take you so far. But then we're going another direction. But listen, this is really good stuff. He says the east from the west. Why does he say the east from the west? Because the east from the west is an infinite line. If you get on a plane and start traveling east, you're, you're going to keep traveling east. You're always going to meet the east. It's an infinite line that does not come together. And so what God is saying through, through the writer in Psalms 103 is that he has removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. Totally away from him, he's removed it so that he doesn't count our sin against us any longer. He's put it, as other scriptures would say, he's put it out of his memory. He's cast it into the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. That's what he's done with our sin. Now, if you'll, you'll look now, reconciliation is only possible by the forgiveness of sin. But forgiveness is only possible because God judged our sin. This is important you get this. God could not just look at you and look at me and go, Oh, you want forgiveness? Okay, cool, I forgive you. There had to be a price that was paid in order for that forgiveness to be given. Because God is a God of justice. So where there is rebellion and treason, that rebellion and treason, treason needs to be judged, not overlooked. It needs to be judged. It needs to be punished. So the only way that we could receive reconciliation, be brought back to God, is through forgiveness of sin. But the only way forgiveness was made possible is that God had to judge our sin. And in all fairness, what God should have done in judging our sin is destroyed us because we were the ones who and are the ones who sin against him. We deserve that. And this is where the amazing, absurd gospel comes in. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I, I want to read just that verse by itself. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, Chris, leave that verse sitting right there because we're going to take this verse apart right here on the screen. Okay? And they don't, I'll give them the answers they can write in their bulletins. You don't need to put it on the screen because I just want to look at this one verse. Look at the first two words God made. I want you to just do not forget this reconciliation, forgiveness, and the way our sin was judged and punished was God's idea. This was God's. God made it happen. It wasn't our idea. We're wallowing around in our sin. God's idea was to do this. So the first thing I want you to know and remind you of is this is God's plan. This is, his, this is how much he loves you. 
God made his plan, him who had no sin. Jesus, that's who he's talking about. The one who had no sin. It's interesting if you do a a study of of college students and younger, some some, uh, older adults, 30 and down probably, about Jesus and ask them various questions about Jesus. In, In a number of the surveys taken, interesting enough, one of the questions asked is, did Jesus ever sin? And interesting enough, you'd be surprised to know how many people believe that Jesus is just like us and that he sinned just like us. There's a problem with that. The problem with that is, number one, Scripture says he didn't sin, that he was without sin, that he lived a perfect life. The other problem with that is that if he did sin, then him hanging on the cross for the sins of the world is no different than you hanging on the cross for the sins of the world. It can't be done. So there had to be a perfect sacrifice for our sin. There had to be a perfect judgment. There had to be a perfect punishment for our sin. And in order for there to be a perfect punishment, God had to send His Son. And His Son comes... And he takes on the sin of the world. So God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. What actually happened there on the cross? What actually happened when Jesus was put on the cross? He he became sin for us. He didn't become a sinner. He didn't become a murderer, a liar. He, He didn't become that. He became the punishment for our sin. And what God did in what is known as the great exchange, God took his perfect son, had him on the cross, and on the cross he took our sin and he placed our sin, the sins of the whole world, through all time, for all time, on his son and had his son pay the price for our sin. God's wrath exploded on his own son instead of exploding on you and on me. And so Jesus offers this perfect sacrifice. You remember while he's on the cross, one of the phrases he uttered, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What would cause Jesus to to even utter that phrase except the fact that, that God had inundated him with all of our sin to the point that he was separated from his father for the first time ever, ever, right there on the cross. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. Now, let me say this about righteousness. What does that mean? Sounds like a religious word. Well, let's, let's make it really simple. Righteousness in its simplest form simply means rightness. See, without Christ, we are in a wrong relationship with Him, with God. We're in a rebellious relationship with God. Because of Jesus... And because we have been given the opportunity to place our faith and confidence in Jesus, we, we are no longer in a wrong relationship with God, but we've now been placed in a right relationship with Him. And so righteousness means that we are in a right relationship. A right relationship with Him. 
So God, what he did is he put your sin on Jesus. He put your sin on Jesus. And he offers to put his righteousness in you. It's a great exchange. I mean, how could, how could we refuse? That's what Paul would write later on in Scripture. How can anyone refuse such a great salvation? That God would take us in our brokenness and in our sin and make us right with Him even though we still are broken at times. Even though we still sin. You know, that idea of, <clears throat> excuse me, that idea of the great exchange, God having his son take our place and punish us, has given rise to believers living out what God did for them, Christians living out what God did for them. For instance, I want you to look at this picture of a lady named Shannon Wright, Shannon and her family. Shannon was a school teacher. She, she lived, she and her family lived in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Some of you may remember this, others won't. But in the elementary school where she taught, person came into the school with a gun with the intent to shoot up everybody they could come into contact with when the by the, it was it was about 20 minutes of just literally hell in the school when the dust settled there were five people who were dead others wounded but there were five people who were dead four of them were students one of them was Shannon. Shannon was a follower of Jesus Christ. And in interviewing their students through all the stuff that had gone on, what she did when the, the individual that was shooting came, came down the hall, rather than hide, she took the bullet for them. She laid on top of as many students as she could lay on top of and protected as many as she could and she was shot she took their place she stepped in front of the bullet for those children there's another guy we go back into the 1940s back in during world war ii his name was maximilian kolbe here's his picture maximilian kolbe was a roman catholic priest from, uh, from Poland. As a matter of fact, he single-handedly had protected and, and, and provided shelter for 2,000 Jews during Hitler's reign of terror on the Jews. <clears throat> Maximilian Kolbe, because he hid the Jews, was arrested. He was arrested and he was confined to Auschwitz. And when he was confined to Auschwitz... He was placed in a barracks, and in his barracks, he led all of the people, all of the men in his barracks, in prayers and in hymns. Out of the barracks where Maximilian Kolbe was confined, he found reason to sing and found reason to pray. In the night one time, 
One of the prisoners from his barracks escaped. Successfully escaped from Auschwitz. In the morning roll call, when it was discovered that that one of the prisoners was missing, the commandant of Auschwitz called the whole barracks out in the roll call, and they stood in a line. And for punishment, he went down the line and randomly selected ten people who were going to be thrown into the starvation chamber and starved to death to pay for the one guy who had successfully escaped. So as the commandant is walking down the line and he's pulling out ten people, the people are coming and they stand in the front and they face their fellow prisoners. The ninth guy that was pulled out of line... As he was pulled out of line, he's, he begins to cry and plead with the commandant, please, please, I have a wife and I have children and they need me. They need me. Please don't let me die, please. And the commandant would have nothing to do with it. And he stood him up with the other, other nine and they stood and faced their fellow prisoners getting ready to be marched to the starvation chamber for death. The account says that there was some shuffling in the ranks of the prisoners. And one man stepped forward to the commandant. It was Maximilian Kolbe. And he said to the commandant, I would like to give my life for number nine. The commandant looked at him like he was crazy. But then he conceded and told number nine to go back into the ranks. And Maximilian Kolbe took his place. Ten days later in the starvation chamber, there were, there were four people alive still. Maximilian Kolbe was one of them and three of the other prisoners. During those ten days and until the last person drew their last breath... All you could hear from the starvation chamber weren't moans and groans and cries of fear. You could hear the singing of hymns and prayers as they went to their death. Maximilian Kolbe didn't need to step up. He could have just quietly stayed back. But, But his knowledge of what God did for him through his son Jesus, how could he not step forward and exemplify that to others. By the way, prisoner number nine. See, when I I was reading about this account, my first thought was, it didn't matter if you went to the starvation chamber or not, everybody's going to end up dying anyway. Well, that's not what happened. As a matter of fact, during the liberation of the camps, prisoner number nine was one that was liberated. He lived to be 95 years old. I always wonder if he ever got the picture that just as a Roman Catholic priest, because of his faith, stepped forward and gave himself for prisoner number nine, did he ever come to understand that Jesus gave himself for prisoner number nine as well? I don't know. Don't know how that story turned out. Only God does. Why would they do that? Why would they go to such lengths? They would go to such lengths because of this. Shannon Wright, Maximilian Kolbe, and there's a history of others. Because they know that the reason 
the reason they were saved, that they have been reconciled to God, is because Jesus stepped in and took their place and took their punishment. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's amazing grace. And if you think about it long enough, you know what, Rick? We agree. That's kind of absurd because we don't know love like that. It's one thing to die for your family. I would step in front of a, a, a bullet for, for Cindy or for our kids or our grandkids. I, I, would, I would go to my grave immediately for them to protect them. I'd go to my grave for you all. Most of you all. I mean, you know, you know, you understand that. You'd die for your family. But we'd run from it for our enemies. People who have bad-mouthed me. People who have hurt me deeply. Let them handle their own punishment, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. He's on the cross going, Father, forgive them. His enemies, the guys that are killing them, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's absurd to me, but I'm so glad it's there. I'm so glad it's there. I want you to watch this four-minute video with me, a layout of the gospel to help us really come to grips. You'll have to listen closely um, as, as we share with you in what's known as the spoken word. The spoken word, sharing the truth, just speaking the truth. Watch this with me. It's the full story of life crushed into four minutes. The entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand, crushed into one sentence. Listen, it's intense, right? God, our sins, paying everyone life. The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told, God. Yes, God, the maker and giver of life. And by life, I mean any and all manner and substance, seen and unseen, what can and can be touched, thoughts, image, emotions, love, atoms, and oceans, God. All of it is handiwork, one of which is masterpiece, made so uniquely that angels look curiously. The one thing in creation that was made with his imagery, the concept, so cold. It's the reason I stay bold, how God breathed in a man and he became a living soul. Formed with the intent of being infinitely, intimately fond. Creator and creation held an eternal bond. And it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong. A species got deceived and started lusting for his job. An odd list of complaints as if the system ain't working and used that same breath he graciously gave us to curse him. And that sin seed spread through our soul's genome. And by nature of your nature, your species, you participated in the mutiny, our, yes, our sins. It's nature inherited, black in the human heart. It was over before it started. Deceived from day one and led away by our own lust. There's not a religion in the world that doesn't agree that something's wrong with us. The question is, what is it and how do we fix it? Are we eternally separated from a God that may or may not have existed? But that's another subject. Let's keep grinding. Besides trying to prove God is like defending a lion, homie. It'll need your help. Just unlock the cage. 
Let's move on on how our debt can be paid. Short and sweet. The problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer, an asthma, choking out our life force, forcing separation from a perfect and holy God. And the only way to get back is to get back to perfection. But silly us, trying to pass the course of life without referring to a syllabus. This is us. Keep up your good deeds. Chant, pray, meditate. But all of that, of course, is spraying cologne on a corpse. Or you could choose to ignore it as if something don't stink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe. But all of that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and line them up against perfection. Good luck. That's life past your pay grade. The cost of your soul, you ain't got a big enough piggy bank. But you could give it a shot. But I suggest you throw away the list, because even your good acts are an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. I hope you're closely listening. Please don't get it twisted. It's what makes our faith unique. Here's what God says as part A of the gospel. You can't fix yourself. Quit trying. It's impossible. Sin brings death. Give God his breath back. You owe him. Eternally separated. And the only way to fix it is someone die in your place. And that someone got to be perfect or the payment ain't permanent. So if and when you find a perfect person, get him or her to willingly trade their perfection for your sin and death in. Clearly, since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness. His death functions as payment. Yes, payment. Wrote a check with his life, but at the resurrection we all cheered because that means the check cleared. Pierced feet, pierced hands, blood-stained son of man, fullness, forgiveness, free passage into the promised land. That same breath that God breathed into us, God gave up to redeem us. And anyone and everyone, and by everyone I mean everyone, who puts their faith and trust in Him, and Him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is, that you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply believing in Christ and Christ alone. You are receiving life. Yes, life. This is the gospel. God, our sins, paying everyone life. God, our sins, paying everyone life. The gospel. Second <clears throat> Corinthians 5.21. The gospel. God placing our sins on him. And you know... You may, be, you may be sitting here today and just going, you know, I don't, I don't deserve that kind of love. Well, that's a true statement. You don't deserve it. And I don't deserve it. But that's the depth of God's love, that he would extend it to us anyway. That's a love that's so, so hard to fathom. How do, how do we do that? There's a quote in a book I've been reading Cindy and I had read a book by Stephen Furtick called Crash the Chatterbox. <clears throat> I have this quote in your, in your bulletin where Stephen writes, The only way we can deal with our sin practically is to be confident in the fact that God has already dealt with our sin eternally. 
A believer who is equally convinced of these two realities, one that sin is serious, but Christ is enough, is the enemy's worst nightmare. Listen, before Jesus came on the scene, I'm going to close with this because I want you to have a real clear picture of it. Before Jesus came on the scene, we should have understood this. We should have understood it because in the Old Testament, God had already established a sacrificial system that would announce what Jesus was ultimately going to do. Hundreds, thousands of years before Jesus even came on the scene, God had announced through the sacrificial system how he was going to take care of the sin of all mankind. You see, there was a sin offering that had to be offered once a year. And, and the high priest was required to take two goats, two goats. And the two goats were brought before the high priest and he would cast lots before the goats. And whichever goat the lot fell on, that goat was taken. And when he was taken, the high priest would take the knife and would kill the goat. Kill it right there and shed its blood. And then he would take the blood from that goat and he would sprinkle it all over the altar as a payment or as a covering for the sins of the people. But it's what he did next which is remarkable. He would take his hands and he would take his hands and look at the second goat. And he would place his hands on the second goat. And when he placed his hands on the second goat, it was the act of transferring the sin and the guilt of sin from the people onto this goat. And since the sacrifice had already been made, this goat would receive a whole different treatment. This goat was going to be the goat that would proclaim to you and to me that the death of Jesus is sufficient to pay for our sin because this goat would be set off into the wilderness never to come back again. It was a symbol of the goat carrying away all the sins of all the people, never to remember, never to be remembered, and never to be held against him because the sacrifice was made. In Jesus Christ, Jesus became the two goats. He became both the sacrifice and he became the one who is able to forgive your sin because he made the perfect sacrifice. He now takes your sin and when he forgives you, he doesn't hold it over your head any longer. And so we as followers of Jesus don't have to live in the defeat of the sins of the past and, and our life of the past. We now live in the glorious freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. You can't earn it. We're not good enough. We can only fall at his feet and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I acknowledge you as my Savior, and I place my confidence in you. Not that everything in my life will work out well. I place my confidence in you that you've taken my sin, paid for it, and now you have given me your life and you have placed your spirit in me. How do you respond to that? Well, you've got two ways to respond. And, this is, and then we'll pray. Number one, you respond by reaching out to Jesus. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, you've been trying to make it on your own and be good enough to acknowledge God, you respond by admitting you're a sinner repenting of your sin and asking him to come live in you. Or number two, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you do what Paul says we're supposed to do. Go and tell.
That's why we named the series Go and Tell. How can you be quiet if you've got the answer for the world? Go, tell. And Christ communities, you walk out these doors this morning, you go to your home and tell. You go to your workplace and you tell. You go to your neighborhood and you tell. You go to the gym and you tell. Wherever you go, you tell because that is the solution that God put in place for his people to be reconciled to him. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for providing the way for us to be made right with you. And Lord Jesus, as we go from this place, I pray we go in fullness and in confidence, knowing that we can share you with others. And I pray as we do, I pray that folks will come into a loving relationship with you. Father, for anyone sitting here this morning, I pray that today, right here, right now, that they would come to terms with who you are and what you have done for them. They can't earn it. And I pray that in faith they would reach out to you and ask you to come and live in them, forgive them, and make them right with you. We give you praise and honor and glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Hey, listen, if you want to know more about following Christ, uh, being reconciled to God, I want you, you can come up here and talk to me. You can seek out a staff member. Uh, We'd love to talk to you and pray with you, okay? God bless you, Christ community. Have a great week.